welcome to Resilience Unraveled. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. This podcast is the result of my fascination with health issues, resilience, performance, mental health, accountability, and critical thinking, along with many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, organizations, and people, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories, as well as my synthesis of the key issues, tips, and strategies to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, you can also find other information at qedod.com or russellthackeray.com. Stay tuned to the end for details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. So today I'm talking to Jen Rosenbaum, and um, we've just been chatting a, um, a few minutes ago, and um, I think I've got the pronunciation of your name correctly there, Jen. Is that right? Yes, you did. I know you used to have a, a more appropriate nickname. Is that right? You were telling me earlier. <laughs> yeah, for a long time, people used to call me J Bomb, and I'd be like, "Why did they think? Where does that even come from?" And somebody said to me once, "Well, it's Jen Rosenbaum," so we shortened it. And I was like, "Oh, that's why I don't understand because it's Rosenbaum." Rosenbaum, <laughs> fantastic! Great. Yeah. Well, I can tell immediately by your accent that you are not from the UK. So tell me where you are and <laughs> what part of the world you're in, because some people have different accents to the the place they're in. So I can't assume anything. Yes, this is true. I am Scottish. No, I'm teasing. I <laughs> I am from New York. I'm from Long Island, more particularly, if you can hear the Long Island accent. But I'm from the North Shore of Long Island. So on the North Shore, we tend to not have a very thick accent because sometimes people say, you don't sound like you're from Long Island. And then my answer is, well, if I was from the South Shore, I would sound more like this. And that would, you know, people would understand that I'm from Long Island if I talk like this. But I'm from the North Shore of Long Island, so we don't have as thick of an accent. So you're telling me you're more refined and sophisticated. That's what you're telling me, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to say so, but yes. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that. Well, the two of us together should do well because I'm what they call a posh Georgie over here, which is one of those uh, anachronisms which don't exist. So there oh. you go, like military intelligence. So, um, <laughs> so Jen, we're well, lovely to meet you um, virtually, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today and to talk about resilience and your story with my audience. And um, you know, you've got some fascinating things to talk about so tell us a bit about yourself sure well um i am here in new york i'm born and raised in new york and about um i'm just trying to do the math about 14 years ago my daughter will be 14 actually in september i was working in a family business and i got married got pregnant and decided to be a stay-at-home mom so i was a stay-at-home mom for my daughter for a few years and when she was about somewhere around three years old or so we decided we were going to have another baby and it was not a very easy process for us there were a lot of complications miscarriages ectopic pregnancies surgeries so on and so forth and it, it was a really difficult time in my life because most of my friends were having their, their first and second babies and it was uncomplicated or at least as much as I knew and um, it, it was a hard time for me and it was a it was probably the first real time in my life where I was faced with something that I needed to change my mindset with. So my mindset was really kind of uh, negative and frustrated and I can't control this and I just want another baby. And I would, I would show up 
to events and be happy for my friends, but I would leave feeling really heartbroken and empty. And one day I said to myself, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to sit around and feel bad for myself all the time. I'm going to do something to distract myself. So I brushed off the camera that my husband bought me about two years prior and I sat and I taught myself how to take photos. And so uh, very shortly after that, I decided I wanted to be a boudoir photographer when I grew up. <laughs> so what's, so what, now you've talked about about 20 million things and I have to just stop. Yeah, for one I second. know. There's so much. <laughs> I know. So, so first of all, my immediate, so in other words, you said the word boudoir photograph. So what does that mean? Because I yes. know what a boudoir is, I think. Yes. You do. So, uh, boudoir photography is, uh, I'm going to give you sort of the generic definition and my definition. The generic definition is photography of women in an intimate fashion, whether it be in lingerie, implied nudes, um, but usually it's in some sort of undress. Um, And most people view it if they're not really aware of what boudoir photography is, they might view it as just very sexy and objectifying women and about sex. But for me, it's about women's empowerment and um, women really embracing their, their unique femininity and celebrating it shamelessly. And the reason why that really came to be for me, especially during a difficult time in my life, was because I was struggling with my femininity. I couldn't have another baby and I was struggling with that. And doing this allowed me an opportunity to be around other women and hear their struggles and understand that they too are going through things, even though we might see from the outside, the woman is perfect and beautiful and, you know, what could be so wrong with her? It really made me realize that we all have something. And so we were sort of in solidarity. So did you, did you, did you get that? Because often a lot of women are very sympathetic to each other, aren't they? When they go through this sort of process, but often you get that sort of, well, you've already got one perfect one. Why do you need another? Did you, did you find that sort of message hitting you at all? Well, here's the thing about that. Women are supportive of each other when we're able to freely talk about things. Infertility is not one of those things that we freely talk about. It's changed a little bit. I mean, like I said, this was about 11 years ago, but Uh, You know, this was really prior to like Facebook and a lot of people opening up about things. But back then, nobody really spoke about it. It was like whispered. You know, when I had my miscarriage, it was obvious because everybody knew I was pregnant. I was pretty far along in my pregnancy. And people would come up and sort of whisper, me too, me too, me too. And I'm like, what do you mean? How come I didn't know? Why do I feel so alone? So, um, and yeah, I've heard plenty of things like, uh, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. Well, at least you already have a baby. You you know, people also say incredibly insensitive things. And um, I think that they, I've learned over the years, especially through that journey and and afterwards through my cancer journey, uh, I learned that people say these insensitive things in an act of solidarity. They're trying to really uplift, but they're really just, not thinking about what they're saying. So you have to sort of learn to take those things with a grain of salt. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, and it's interesting the phrase you sort of use a few times was at least you, at least you, yeah. at least you yeah. have this. And it's a, it's a sort of, it's a strange way of, it's a strange way of posing things, isn't it? Is it, well, you can't have something, we're so sorry, but at least you've got that. It's almost as if what you've got is a compromise or a, well, you should be grateful for your, what you have rather than what you haven't got, which which isn't really the point, I suppose, is it? Yeah, correct. It's a shaming. It's a, it's a shaming of people. So, you know, when I, I mean, I know we haven't really talked about it, but like I told you prior to this recording is that I'm a breast cancer survivor. So 
after I went through my breast cancer treatment, I was having a really hard time finding my life again. And in some ways, I'm still in that process. And people would say to me, well, at least you're alive. Yes. And I would say, really? Because I don't feel alive. Like, I, yeah, I'm here, I'm present on earth, but I don't feel like I'm alive. And so that's almost worse than actually <laughs> being alive, you know, is uh, when you're alive and you don't feel alive, it's torture. So this at least thing is shameful. It's basically saying, stop feeling bad. At least you're alive. You should be grateful for that. And I never said I wasn't grateful for that. I never said I wasn't grateful for my first child, but I'm... I'm upset that I can't have another, and I have a right to be. Oh, congratulations. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, I've got all these brilliant questions lined up, and they all said, they're all going to say, and what happened? Is, was, is there a happy ending to the story? And you've already... Yes, you know, spoiler alert. I'm yeah. never going to ask you to tell me the plot of a film in the future, because I'm going yes, to just yes. go straight to the end. Well, here's, here's the real story. Here's the story behind that, by the way. I started a photography business and then I stopped uh, really concentrating on having another kid and I got pregnant without even thinking about it. And the funny thing is the day that I found out I was pregnant, I was supposed to go for fertility treatment the next day. And I totally didn't even realize that I had missed my period and I was pregnant. So it all turned out well. And so do you link that series of events to pure chance coincidence, call it what you want? Or do you, do you sort of attribute some of that, that to the mindset shift that you talked about? Because you said earlier that I have to shift. It was the first time I had to shift my mindset. So I'm just I wondering if you see a link between those things. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that uh, I was meant to change the world in my own little way through my camera. And the only way that that could happen is if it my having a child was postponed and my suffering was was inevitable you know that that suffering had to happen so because I went through that suffering because I wasn't pregnant yet I was able to start this photography business that I'm still is still ongoing and now is helping even more women and more breast cancer survivors and, and many people in many ways and that never would have happened had I not gone through that period of my life so I believe that that period of my life served an amazing purpose it doesn't mean that these things are easy when you're going through them but if you can look past them a little like see the forest through the trees at times and say okay well I know at the end of this something amazing is going to happen then it shifts your mindset and then all of a sudden your body goes all right maybe we'll get pregnant <laughs> yes. all right maybe we're not under so much stress and you know or the universe reads okay maybe you know this is this is good now we're gonna we're gonna bring this now now is the right time so you basically you sort of took the pressure off yourself and actually mm -hmm. physically and chemically altered your body in a way didn't you yeah I believe so, so and also the free into the universe you know like there's a lot of people that may hear me talk about this and say well I'm not spiritual or I'm not religious and you know it's not about a particular god or or whatever you believe but for me I really believe in the energy of the universe and when you when you're in a position where you're like I want I want I want I want I want this so badly and you're so attached to the outcome you're never going to get it if you can just kind of let go of the outcome and say well it'll happen when it's meant to happen or I'm not really sure how it's meant to happen but I'm going to roll with the punches then usually it does show up you're sort of really controlling something that's uncontrollable, I guess, because yeah. actually people assume that pregnancy is such an easy thing because we hear so much about it. But there's a lot of people who um, have miscarriages, a, a huge number when I was looking at the statistics. So huge people lose children or cannot conceive, uh, can conceive once but never again. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's, everyone assumes it's just the most natural thing, but actually it's, it's less, it, it's not as easy as made out to be, I suppose. That's the way I think about it, isn't it? 
Yeah, for some reason, we all believe it's just easy for those who don't want to have children. <laughs> you know, yeah. you hear about people all the time, like, that get pregnant that wish they hadn't, or, you know, somebody that's super young, and, and you know, they and, and you say, you know, I know in my in my time when I was upset, I would say, oh, of course, you know, I'm going to be an amazing mom, and this one is addicted to drugs, and she's getting pregnant. But you know what? It's judgmental, and the... And I've learned to let go of that in my life. And you know what? I have an amazing son and I am grateful that I went through all of that because if it led to having him, then it was perfect for me because he's amazing. So so which came first, the IVF or the cancer? Uh, the infertility came first. I actually never went through IVF because Sorry, yes, yes. Uh, I got pregnant first. Um, but cancer, I, I got cancer about two years ago. So, um, and, and obviously just talk about what you want to talk about here. Don't start, um, telling us things you don't want to tell us, but was there stuff about the infertility and the, and the mindset changes you, you made there that helped you deal with the cancer? Yes, a thousand percent because the cancer, uh, I knew that there would be an end a light at the end of the tunnel, let's call it that. Even though I'm, I see the light brighter today than I ever have, I'm not sure I'm at the end of the tunnel quite yet, but um, I knew that I had to just put myself together and get through the hard part and go through the treatments and go through the surgeries and have a good attitude about it because it would lead to something amazing. And I really believed it was happening for me and not to me. Uh, I chose to look at it that way. I chose to put purpose behind it. I was very public with my breast cancer journey, and I still am. Um, I get comments every single day on my YouTube videos about uh, my breast cancer journey and how it's helped other people through it. And as I still am putting my life back together, um, really to understand that the mindset is really important. So tell me my my, so, my tell days through cancer, by the way, were my my downs were much darker and much deeper than they were through infertility. Much really? much deeper, yeah. So it really did help. It prepared me. Yes, and, and and talk to me more about for it. It happened for me, not to me. Um, what, what can you unpack that a bit for me? I can't. Um, for me, I had to make a decision: Is this just going to be a disease, or am I going to make something out of this? And, you know, through my photography, I'm very fortunate to have a large female audience and a, and a large male audience for that matter. And I said to myself, you know what, this is an opportunity for awareness. This is an opportunity to uh, change the world. This is an opportunity to something that I might not have ever thought about creating. And I'm still working on that. I'm writing a book called Reconstruction about putting your life back together after cancer. Maybe that's my point, my purpose to help people put their life back together after cancer because Lord only knows I'm struggling doing it. <laughs> you know, I'm sure a lot of other people are as well. Um, you know, like I said, I've made all these videos. I've done a lot of things that uh, with minimal effort, you know, just speaking my mind that have really resonated with people. So I truly believe that this was a wake-up call for me, not just to change the world, but to change my life and to recognize the things that I wasn't happy with. And it was sort of the universe coming and knocking on the door and saying, how long are you going to let this go on for? You're not happy, and yet you're you're stifling the intuition and the feelings. You're you're not living, girlfriend. You know, yeah. so we're here to remind you: wake up. So, what are the things that um, useful about what you've been able to share about your story? Well, I think that. Um, when you go to doctors and you ask them questions, they have very clinical answers, and their answers are 
get from other patients. So you may or may not feel this. You may or may not feel that. You may, you know, one of my doctors, I had a mastectomy and one of my doctors said to me, you're probably not going to feel hugs anymore. And I was devastated because I had little kids at the time and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to feel my my son's hugs, especially. He was a very cuddly little kid. And I, how, how is this going to work? And she devastated me. And the truth is that I can feel hugs. But you know, she sees it as, well, you're going to lose nerve ending, so you're going to lose feeling, but she doesn't understand you can still feel pressure, and really that's where the hug is, right? It's the pressure, not the skin on skin, because I'm not hugging my son with no shirt on, <laughs> you know, we're, we're closed when we hug, so, uh, or anybody else for that matter, so um, there's many times where I would make a video about, like, what is, what do breast expanders really feel like? Or what does it feel like after a mastectomy? Or what are my feelings going into a mastectomy? Those are things that a doctor cannot talk about because they have never experienced it. You know, to put put yourself on a table, I get emotional when I talk about this, so excuse me ahead of time if I do, but uh, I get very emotional when I think about the fact that I, I walked into a hospital, even though I technically didn't have a choice, I walked into a hospital, I laid myself on a bed, I hooked myself up to IV, and I said, take my breasts from me. Mm. The fact that a person can do that is, like, crazy to me. Like, you must be in a place where, like, you're in full survival mode when that happens because the thought of doing something that I still can't understand how a person does it, forget myself, you know? Um, so it's... it's uh, Nobody can talk. A doctor can't tell you what that feels like. They could do it over and over again, and they can perform mastectomies over and over again, but they don't know what's going on in somebody's head or, or in their, their heart when that's happening. It's devastating. Yes. I suppose the only, the closest would be to have a female doctor or a female surgeon who'd done something similar, but I mean, I guess that's quite, quite rare in itself, isn't it? Yeah, I had one nurse once who was a cancer survivor. She was the best nurse ever, and she really got it. She understood. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, unless your doctors have gone through that particular type of cancer, and, you know, they're also desensitized, and they have to be because it's an emotional experience, and they, they have to be, and I can't blame them for that. But, you know, you sit down, and they say to you, okay, you're going to have chemotherapy. Here's a list of 100 things you may experience. It's frightening. Yeah, and it is quite interesting because I work on the other side of things with medical practitioners who suffer from burnout for having to deal with the emotions of the, their patients, and mm -hmm. uh, and so it's interesting to see it from you know you can see it from both perspectives. I know when I remember when I went through something similar, the thing that they just said to me was, "Oh, would you like the, would you like the number of a counselor?" Mm. I thought, "Well, that's the least. That's the, that's the last thing I want." But obviously, that's the next thing in the process, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we were. I was having this conversation the other day with somebody that I feel like they offer counseling too early. Yeah. That you really don't need the counseling when you're in the treatment. When you're in the treatment, you're in survival mode. So your body's like, nope, we're doing this. There is no doubt in my mind we're doing this. It's when the treatment's over that all of a sudden you're hit with, what the heck happened to me? How did this happen to me? Why doesn't my life look anything like it looked before? Mm. And how do I put this together? And I have to tell you, I suffer from very severe PTSD from all of this. And I really thought through the whole thing that that wasn't going to happen because I was so positive and I was so strong and I was so vocal. But, you know, how could it not? <laughs> how could it not happen? So do, and, you, do you feel a sort of lo a loss of identity almost as a result of this? You know, in some ways, yes, and in some ways it's strengthened and it's still strengthening my identity. I feel like I'm coming into my own even more so now because 
Um, I don't have a choice. I have to. But yes, I mean, as a woman, I mean, my femininity has been attacked multiple times. First through infertility. Second, secondly, through, you know, having children, which by the way, nobody talks about as that everybody talks about as such a beautiful event, but it's, it's a trauma, (laughs) you know, your body grows for nine months and then you push this baby out and your body's completely different than it was before. And you're, you know, it's your breasts change and your mind change and your priorities change. It's traumatic to have children. So going through that and, um, then, you know, going through a mastectomy and then reconstruction and then they put me into menopause. So that's another change. And now I need a new reconstruction. So that's another surgery I'm going to have to go through and they want to remove my ovaries. So yeah, I'm under major, my femininity is under major attack at all times. And so I have decisions on what I want to do with that. And part of that is why I love my photography so much because I can express my femininity myself through selfies and through my clients in ways that aren't about the breast or the womb. It's really about uh, embracing who you are as a woman. And, and, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, uh, reading your site, it's it's quite clear that you link femininity and feminism together in a quite interesting way. So maybe you can mm. talk about because actually that that makes more sense of you, your decision to do boudoir photography and the and this this idea that that you're taking intimate photographs of women and how that's about feminism as well as femininity, isn't it? Yeah, you're so observant. I love that about you. <laughs> I have an expression that uh, says I'm putting the feminine back in feminist. Right. Because I think that we've lost the feminine in the feminist. We we have somewhere along the line um, been taught that in order to be a powerful woman, we have to be like a man. Yes. And, and I don't yes. understand that at all. Because Neither do we. No, right. Like, no, I don't want to be like a man. You know why I want to be paid equal? Because I'm a woman and I can offer you things that a man can't because we're different. Yeah. And that maybe should be why America should embrace an American uh, female president, at, you know, at some point, because no offense, the men aren't really rocking it these days, you know? And, and, you know, why should we have female CEOs and why should we have women, you know, in, in the uh, army and the armed forces? Because women see things differently. We do things differently. And those qualities have been repressed way too long. There's something really powerful about them. And I just, you know, along with the women's movement, there is a men's movement that's coordinated with it. I think a lot of people look at it. And at least here in America, I don't know what it's like there, but at least here in America, a lot of people are saying, well, the age of the white male is dead. You know, that that's over. And, you know, it's time for somebody else to be in charge. And, and I don't think that's the answer either. I think the answer is that as the women's movement grows, the men's movement has to grow too. How can men change and embrace and feel more comfortable with women in power and women being seen as equal and therefore, there needs to be a men's movement as well. Yes, it's it's true actually because the point isn't for one um, one um, gender to to succeed at the expense of the other. It's actually that they should both be succeeding together because that's yeah. when that's when we're really powerful, isn't it? When we work together, not when we sort of set against each other. And and you're right. I mean, you know, I've worked in organisations that are almost entirely female, and uh, eleven hundred women, eight men. I tell the story a lot. And, um, and a lot of women used to say it was great to work with men because actually having all women together isn't always great. Um, you know, yeah. it, I mean, you know, women talk about, you know, that playgrounds and when lots of women get together, it can be pretty horrible. 
And actually the point is the balance, isn't it? In the same way when you have a lot of men together, it can be pretty horrible as well. But you just yeah. need to, if you if you can get this nice balance, so this sort of continuum of men and women and continuum of genders together, it's really, really powerful. And, yeah. and so I like the way that you've you sort of you've you've sort of you've sort of picked up what makes women women traditionally and you said, hey, that's okay. You don't have to mm-hmm. still be a, to still be a feminist, and so and so, how does the photography link into that then? So, 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 is it effectively the photography celebrating your femininity, which is mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's really about celebrating your unique femininity. So it gives women a place to come in, and if they want to wear a bra and underwear, great. If they want to wear sneakers and a jean jacket, awesome. If you want to, um, you know, whatever you want to be, be that in this room. This isn't about coming in and dressing up as somebody else, doing your hair, makeup, and wearing an outfit you would never, never normally wear. This is about coming in and truly being who you are and defining your own version of sexy. And what happens is when we do that and there's an interaction between me and the client, I call myself a photographer therapist, by the way. I'm not a yes. therapist like you know, by license, but I certainly, what I do is therapeutic. And um, you know, when you go through that type of therapy and you leave, you don't even care what the pictures look like. You're like, oh my God, that felt amazing. And I reconnected with who I am. And I'm going to bring that person to my job. And I'm going to go quit my job because my boss is a jerk. Or I'm going to go break up with my husband, my boyfriend because my boyfriend's not treating me right. Or I'm going to go ask for a raise. Or I'm going to travel the world. Or whatever. you It like reignites a fire in you that says, you know what? When I'm really truly me, without any judgment, without any shame, I can live the biggest life possible. Yes, that's right. Because it it's, it's the most revealing of... I mean, photography, it reveals your sort of inner self, doesn't it? Yeah. Because actually you expose yourself, especially I suppose yeah. when you're taking intimate photographs in that sense. I mean, we're not talking about um, um, R-rated photographs. You're just talking about, no. you know, you're talking about people who are just being themselves, really, aren't you? Um, but it is interesting how the, the camera can capture all those micro-expressions and see you a different way. I mean, some of the greatest photographers... Um, you know, taking people, I'm trying to think of a single photographer now, that, that guy in the 60s, he used to get this, you know, completely different light about people, didn't he? And he used, mm-hmm. to, used to see them in a different way. So I can, I can see how photo- photographs can help you. I guess if you like having your photograph taken. I mean, right, most people don't. But no. I guess, you know, for me, I'm, I like, maybe I call myself the feminist, the feminist, not feminist, but maybe feminist, feminism whisperer. You know, like I can see people's, femininity, femininity whisper, we'll call it that. I can see people's femininity even when they can't, even when they've sort of lost their, well, I've had kids and I don't know who I am anymore. And, you know, I look at them and go, no, but you're still amazing. You're still beautiful. You're still the person you were before you had the kids. You just forgot. So let me just remind you. And it's that forgetting thing is the point, isn't it? Because actually life takes over. Yeah, I think especially for women because we're so busy taking care of everybody else. We're so busy running households and taking care of you know partners and children and parents. And the, I'm not saying that there aren't men out there that do that. There's amazing men out there that do that as well. But in my experience, primarily that falls on the women. Right. We should have a, we should have a discussion about that later on. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's you know along with the men's movement. Yeah. <laughs> Because obviously as a man, I believe that we're much, <laughs> much more put upon. 
Yeah. Um, I like I like some of the things you have on your website about believing, and uh, one of the things I love on this is I I believe in always buying good shoes. It's a necessity yeah. if you plan to land on your feet. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not going to read some of the other ones out because I'm very young and vulnerable. And uh... <laughs> yeah, it's all good. I mean, it's out there in the world. Like I believe in doing push-ups in a push-up bra. Well, that was before I had my surgery, but now I don't need a bra, which is amazing in itself. But um, yeah, you know, like that for me, like when I say something like I believe in doing push-ups in a push-up bra, it goes to show about how I believe in femininity. I can be strong and still be feminine at the same time. It's really not about the push-ups, yeah. right? And, and so, and so, do you think that women are under some sort of pressure to be not feminine? I think that women are under pressure to be feminine in a certain way, shape, and form, and that uh, if they don't want to, if they want to show their femininity, or if their femininity is a little bit more manly, um, or it's not lipstick and high heels, then they're they're taught that that's wrong. That's not how femininity should be, and I just say that that's baloney because. You know, you can be an incredibly feminine, strong, powerful woman and wear biker boots and a leather jacket and whatever, whatever floats your boat. You know, it's like I just for me, I'm very tired of feeling like I have to be or look or act a certain way to be considered feminine. But isn't it interesting how both both genders have to be so um, delineated by what they wear? Because if yeah. you think about it, you know, what, what the archetype of femininity is one look and the archetype of masculinity is another thing, isn't it? And, yeah. and it's quite fascinating. You know, you see this a lot these days, don't you? You see women who wear clothes that effectively are male clothes in a way. You see them wearing brogues, trousers, jeans, you know, uh, male shirts, you know, yeah. button-down collars. But if a man turns around and wears something slightly feminine, that's, mm -hmm. that's you know, people get quite hysterical about that. Don't they? It's, yeah, it's, isn't it ridiculous? And it, seems, you know, I, and it seems that women are sort of leading the way on that sort of self-expression thing. Yeah, I, you know, I'm starting to see it change a little bit with my children. Um, this is a good example. My son, who's now almost 10, came home. He went to camp the summer for a month, and he came home with nail polish on. Pink nail polish, by the way. Mm -hmm. And it's a thing. They, they, the girls like to paint the boys' nails. So it, he comes home every summer with nail polish, but this year it was pink nail polish. And he was starting a new camp the next day. It was a sports camp. And my husband said to him, you know, do you want to take off your nail polish before you go to sports camp tomorrow? And my son said, no, I don't. And he was like, hmm, they're probably going to make fun of you. You should take off the nail polish. And I turned to him and I said, no, he doesn't have to take off the nail polish. If he doesn't want to take it off, he doesn't have to. And, you know, he just said to my husband, I don't really care if people make fun of me. I like it. I want to wear it. And... He turned to my son and said, but it's pink. Like, <laughs> like as if, like, if it was blue, it would be okay, but it's pink. Yes. And he turned to my husband and he said, only real men can get away with pink nail polish. Yes. And I was like, that's right, kiddo. You know, like, good for you. And, you know, so he didn't care. And, you know, but he's still wearing it. And he showed up at camp and if they made fun of him, he said, oh, that's your problem, man, not my problem. And, and for me, I feel like maybe he just didn't get made fun of because who cares? At 10 years old, maybe they're not doing that as much anymore, I would hope. Um, it, is know, funny, he, it is funny, isn't it, how in fact fashions flick? Because actually, um, I think it was 150 years ago, of course, men wore pink because it right? was seen as the strong color. And women's color was blue. And right, somehow it got flicked somewhere. So actually, pink has become the female color, but actually it was the male color. 
and yeah. um, you know, because male were the pe- males were the peacocks, and therefore they wore the strongest, brightest colours and such like. Right. And I, and I do think that's fascinating, and I, and um, and I do think this sort of um, I think you're right in the sense that if we can work out the femininity uh, or the female thing and the male thing. I think it's going to. I think it's going to blur the boundaries between the two genders, and I think that's a very good thing because I think point the when you've got people so delineated, you don't get the benefit of them coming together because actually people end up in camps, don't they? If you're not careful. Yeah, hundred percent. I I agree with that hundred percent. And I, you know, I don't think that um, recognizing yourself. I almost think it's going to be like politics, right? Like left and right. You could be like really, really male or really, really female, but there's a lot of gray in between. You know, there's a lot of, and it's okay wherever you want to fall on that spectrum. It's all good. You don't have to make a decision to be a hundred percent one way or a hundred percent another way. Just be you. Yeah, I think you come to a certain age, and I know you've um, alluded to it on your website. You do come to a certain age in your life where you start to think, ah. Oh, I don't care what anybody else thinks now. You know, I'm just going, and you do get people, in, you know, once they reach a certain age, they're sort of sticking two fingers at other people and saying, I'm just going to be yeah. who I want to be. And I think the yeah. quicker we get to that, the better. But we're so, we're so crippled by being worried about what other people think about us all the time. Yeah. You know, and I think what's interesting about your story is that it's giving you a sense of proportion, really, hasn't it, about what's really important. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I say to my daughter all the time, I've spent my whole you know, the 20s and teens trying to be like everybody else. And then you turn 30 and you're trying so hard to be unlike everybody else. You know, you spend the rest of your life trying to be unique. Um, And I think that cancer certainly gives that perspective also. And yeah, you turn 40 and you stop caring what everybody thinks, right? (laughs) That's the age for sure. Um, But, you know, I I just turned 44 last week, as a matter of fact. And uh, congrats. Thank you. And, you know, even as I age now, even as I, as I get closer to my mid-40s and 50, I'm still like, oh, I thought I didn't care then, but now I really don't care. You know, or really, and then I realize there's moments where I really do care. I really do. I really care about how um, I put up an imprint in on this earth. Not necessarily that I care what other people think about it, but that I want my imprint to look the way I want it to look, that I want my legacy to be kind and loving and caring and healthy and uh, raising women up and part of that beautiful movement that's that's really what i want brilliant so jen if someone if someone liked to, to see what let's just start that, that sentence again if people would like to see more about your work and you know interact with you and find you what how would they do that the best place to do that is on Instagram, actually. If they look up Jen Rosenbaum, and it's with a Z, you guys, so it's R-O-Z-E-N-B-A-U-M. So if they find me Jen Rosenbaum, um, I you can see my work there. You can send me a message. I answer all my messages myself. And um, all the good stuff always leads back to Instagram. <laughs> so, but also, if you're if you're in the breast cancer journey or sell, you know, supporting somebody that's in the breast cancer journey and you want to check out my YouTube videos, you can check me out at youtube.com forward slash Jen Rosenbaum. Fantastic. And when you say Z, you mean Z, of course. Oh, yeah. So, well, yes. Of <laughs> tomato, <course. laughs> tomato. I know that one. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much today. It's been, it's been really fascinating talking to you and thanks for sharing so much about that. And I really... I think that message about mindset is something I should take away with me. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. You take care. Thanks for listening today. You can go to our site, qedod.com forward slash podcasts, subscribe and see other titles in this series. Um, You can also contact us at info 
at qedod.com by sending us an email to talk about tough love leadership, accountability, resilience, or avoiding burnout. And if you want a copy of our free ebook, which talks about the fundamentals of resilience, just go to the site and go to qedod.com forward slash free ebook and download it there. Take care.